Folks, come in, sit down there. You were the next gen feminists on our very first podcast. Whoa, exciting for me. Maybe not so much for you. I'm your host, Mother of Snot from motherofsnot.com, also known as Hazel, but mainly known as Mammy, Mammy by my toddler twin boys. And I'm podcasting to you today from my gorgeous little wooden house by a forest just outside Barcelona. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's delightful here. Now, the Next Gen Feminist podcast is for feminists who want to learn how to become better feminists so we can raise better feminists. Uh, I don't know who you are, what age you might be, but if we have the different generations, you know, like baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, Millennials, Generation Z, do you know the name of the next generation? Do you know what they're called? Basically, uh, people who are born from 2010, more or less on, do you know what their generation's going to be? Generation Alpha. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, they're literally going to be a generation of alphas. They are going to ring, run rings around us if we're not careful. We need to get our shit together. So uh, this podcast is basically for people who want to learn more about feminism, because if you weren't a digital native, you probably grew up in a time where if you wanted to do a school project on something, you went and found an encyclopedia that was probably published about 10 years ago. And you found that one page with that one paragraph about the topic that you're writing about. And you copy that into your book and you turn it into a project. Uh, Generation Alpha are going to grow up where... Wi-Fi isn't even going to be a thing anymore. There's just going to be internet in everything. Things are going to be built with the internet in them. So like the the, whole, the way you tell your children now about how, eek, show my age, I, I remember having to get up and walk over to the television and press a button to change the channel. And now like kids these days would be like, what? Well, I mean, the same for basically everything. For Generation Alpha, the way we live today is going to be like Stone Age for them. And if you think of the power and the information that they have at their fingertips that they don't even think of as a tool, that's just part of their life. My goodness, we need to be organized if we're going to raise them right. So that's what the podcast is about. Today, I thought pretty appropriate. We'll start with feminist parenting. What is it? What does it look like? And what, like, why should we even bother? I'm going to start with something uh, that I think must be a fact. Full disclosure, I've done no research on the specific fact, but I challenge you to disagree with me and prove me wrong when I say that like, there are no parents out there who are actively trying to raise their kids to be asshats. Right? Most people are trying to do their best. Uh, some getting it better than others. I know some days, oh God, I fail so badly. But other days I get it, I do, I do a good job. So most people are trying to do, trying to do their best, not specifically trying to raise asshats. But indeed, the asshats persist. Jeebus, they're everywhere. Uh, people who think they're better than someone else because of their skin color, gender, sexuality, physical appearance, like, you know, the kind of like thinking, ooh, tall, so much better. Like, what? What did you do to control that? Nothing. Um, those people exist and they're mean to other people based on these things. I say mean or like absolutely horrific. 
And I know, I know now we're living in a time of Trump, extreme right wing. I don't call them alt wing. I call them extreme right wing because that's what they is. Extreme right wing asshats where you do get parents who are obviously trying to instill hate and fear in their children. But uh, I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about the average family where parents are trying to do their best, but yet asshattery keeps on rearing its ugly head. So I thought we'd take a look at how to avoid mm, some of that. I mean, you can't control well, if anyone who has kids already knows that you cannot control those little people, can't control who they're going to become, but you can control your input and how you guide them. So let's look at the magic of feminist parenting in an attempt to reduce asshattery in the world. I say asshat because like a lot of other words feel problematic and words very quickly become slurs and they're kind of like sexual or gendered or somehow an asshat just seems like appropriately ridiculous enough to uh, explain my point but not be uh, in any way a slur maybe against asses or hats but uh, you know asses and hats can dm me and, and, and tell me what they think about that so feminist parenting now before we get into it let's take a look at like why why is it important why should anybody do feminist parenting why look at the gendered way that we raise kids these days uh, the way I approach it is I think of we have a very gendered way of raising children in our world and then we have a very gender skewed set of problems in adult life. So let's take a look at some of those problems I, I was organizing. I made a list, I shall tell you. Um, statistics, there are, for example, 62 million girls denied education worldwide, much higher figure than boys. Female genital mutilation, there's 200 million girls that have been victims of this, God, horrific, horrific crime. Um, every minute, now how many minutes have we been here? Every minute there are 28 girls around the world married to paedophile rapists, so female child brides. Every minute that's happening, 28 of them. Uh, and then around the world... Uh, there are 25 million people worldwide who are victims of human trafficking. And from that, like the vast majority, like more than 70% of those are female. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about this as females as victims. The same, I said, like a very gender skewed set of problems. And for boys, it's the same. So boys as young as five have been shown to repress their feelings. So maybe they're getting excited about something or maybe they're crying about something and they've already learned that if they're a boy, they can't have those emotions. They, heaven forbid. Um, and repressed feelings, you know that dumbly dead thing good. So I don't know why I said it like that. I'm really sorry. Repressed feelings don't need to anything good. Um, if you happen to be born with a penis, more likely that you're going to have poor mental health, more likely you're going to engage in self-harm, more likely that, uh, I don't know if you know this, the, the, the rates in general around the world of depression between, uh, comparing between, um, I take the categories of two genders because I don't know if they have a lot of information based on all the other genders on the spectrum. So for this case, I'm going to talk about two and just going to talk about the dichotomy male-female. Um, uh, there's not a huge difference between uh, people who identify as men and people who identify as women in having depression. The numbers are similar enough. However, people who identify as men are far, far more likely to die by suicide when they have depression than people who identify as women who have depression. 
Um, if you were born with a penis, you're more likely to become homeless in your life, you're more likely to go to prison, you're more likely to be a drug addict, and you're more likely to commit violence against women. That is not a fun list of things. So uh, around the world, across the board, we have a really very gender-specific set of problems where one born with one set of genitals means you have one set of problems, and if you're born with the other set of genitals, you're likely more likely to have the other set of problems. And then we have this really gendered way of raising our kids. So pink is for girls, blue is for boys, the ubiquitous and disgusting boys will be boys. Oh, don't even start. Um, princess culture, kids' clothing. Like, I can't even buy kids for clothes for my kids anymore because I, if I go into the shops, I get lost in there taking photographs in the girls' department and the boys' department of like the mermaids, the unicorns, the smile, be happy, love your friends, pink things. And then in the boys' department, it's three colors. It's red, navy, or gray. And it's words like, climb that mountain, go for an adventure, make make some noise was one. Like, I don't know any parent who's encouraging their children to make more noise. But some for, for some reason, it's on the boys' t-shirts. So uh, a really gendered way of raising our kids then a really gender-specific set of problems for them when they grow up. And all, all I'm saying is, like, maybe we could just not. You know, how about we just mm, remove the whole gender situation from it? Uh, Justin Baldoni, very handsome actor from, from Jane the Virgin, uh, has a TED Talk where he talks about uh, masculinity, and he talks about maybe we could just raise good humans. What is so difficult about that? And Terry Real, who is a family therapist and an expert on modern masculinity, he says, maybe we could raise whole humans. I love both of these concepts. Um, whole humans being like, um, instead of being, you're a girl, you like this and not that. And you're a boy, you like that and not this. How about you like what you like? And, and that's it. And it doesn't matter. You can just be a whole person. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound like something We'd be, we'd be interested in. Who's the we? I mean, doesn't that sound like something that could be good for the world? Um, you know, could, we could help save our kids from selling themselves short, uh, mental, save them from mental illness, save them from becoming rapists or becoming victims of men's violence against women. Like, like I really feel so strongly about it, and I know it sounds quite hyperbolic and, and exaggerated. Mm, that's the same thing. But I know it sounds really silly, but like, we can, we can have an input in trying to stop the ass hattery in our kids. I don't know. Look, I just think it's worth a try. So without further ado, let's have a look at some super basic and just easy practical things you can do in your day-to-day -day life to leverage the magic of feminist parenting to try, at least try, and reduce ass hattery in your little kids when they grow up. All right, so like I said, I was organizing. I made a list, five things on the list. Let's go through it. Uh, the first one, bookshelf. I wrote a blog post on this on motherofsnot.com. Check it out. Uh, where I describe the bookshelf as possibly the most dangerous place in your house, kind of. And I was being mildly facetious with that, but also not really, because the bookshelf, if you're not aware of what your what, what the messages in your books, like it is teaching your children some horrible, horrible, damaging messages for them later in their lives or, or, or right now in their lives. So um, in my case, my mom is so sweet and so kind and generous and she buys most of the books for my little boys. And 
the vast majority of them has nothing to do with her. It's just because that's how books are. If you're not mm, being uh, very aware about it, the vast majority of them are problematic as fuck. And when I say problematic, what I mean is I ran a test on them. Uh, it's called the Feminist Book Test. And I found it on a very nice website called rosetintedtentacles.com. Check her out. Um, and the feminist book test was basically a list of questions and it was things like, does it have a female protagonist? Does it mention the, every time it mentions the appearance of the female character, lose five points. Every time it mentions the strength or wealth of a male character, lose five points. And you go winning and losing points all the way through it. Um, I did 25 books and if they had all in total, just got a perfect score the the score they would have got was 775 points. All right? 25 books in total. Do you know how many points they got? Folks, they got minus five points in total, like all together, not one book, minus five all together. Um, so like the books, they're saying really, really dodgy things to our kids and sending dodgy messages. And the thing is, is I'm going to, I'm going to repeat this. You'll see why that's hilarious. Uh, The things that we repeat to our kids and talk about constantly are the things that we're telling them are actually important. And I'm going to read some of the sentences that I took down, some of the uh, things from the books that, mm, that we're reading to our kids every day. And we're saying, hey, kids, guess what? This one's about a little penguin who was a boy and he didn't know how to swim. And they said he was sad and he was lonely, but he couldn't show his tears. Heaven forbid a boy had feelings. And the, and the penguin, boy penguin's dad says to him, you can't be scared of water. What a silly thing to say. How dare you have an emotion that's not anger or frustration like a good man? Um, there's a, a a writer, children's book writer called Julia Donaldson. She's written some great books that we love, but also I find her books to be quite problematic when, when they don't hit the mark. So there's one that's called A Squash and a Squeeze, where there's a lady who has a problem, and literally every second page of the book the lady says, Wise old man, won't you help me please? My house is a squash and a squeeze. She repeats it again and again. Wise old man. Uh, I've no... And, and the... The solution he gives her, it is not a good one. I don't even know why she's listening to him, but it's constantly repeated. Lady, ask the wise old man for some help, and the wise old man will be the one who can tell you. Um, There's one about scarecrows, where one scarecrow is introduced to another, and completely apropos, absolutely nothing in the conversation, he turns to her and he says, you're really quite pretty, apart from your hair. (gasps) Like, like... What? First of all, she didn't ask you. And second of all, she's a scarecrow. Her hair is made out of hay. What are you going to do with that? Like, completely ridiculous. Um, The scarecrow, this dude, douchebag scarecrow, then goes on to to spark up a a cigar. And Betty O'Barley, the the lady scarecrow, says, uh, she says to him, here, listen, dude, like, first of all, smoking's not good for you. And second of all, you're a scarecrow. Don't play with fire. That's just silly. And you know what he says to her? He says, don't be a fusspot. Don't be a fusspot. Like, that's literally the scarecrow version of, calm down, dear. She was right. He set everything on fire. 
Oh my God. Um, and so it, it goes on and on. I have so many that I, that I want to read out and it's all about mm, boys being superheroes. Um, oh, a lot of the female characters only being referred to as in reference to the male characters. So someone who, literally a character that has no name other than his wife or his mom or something like that. Um, a lot of superheroes and, and would save your friends from the dragon with your sword held up high. Like, oh, I don't know, I could wish for a lot better than my boys and that. Um, and then this one, I want to read out this one to you because maybe it's not fair. I think that the lady who wrote this actually is not well in the head. Um, she wrote this children's story super cute about a pig and a badger and they go off to watch a game of football they have a day out right and on their way home they take a wrong turn through the forest and they come across a bunch of fairies which is a bit fantastical right uh, what like what would you think you're walking through the forest you go around the corner behind a, a bush bunch of fairies dancing around holy moly that's exciting they're magical a little bit scary maybe what's going on this is the this is the the sentence that she read that she wrote about it. She wants to describe pig and badger looking at the fairies, and pig and badger think eight magnificently dressed fairies. They're not magnificent fairies; they're magnificently dressed fairies. They seem to shimmer from the tip of their glistening wings to the heels of their dainty shoes, because the smaller a lady's shoe, the better. Their gossamer dresses and lace tights glistened in the moonlight. And Badger said, look at their outfits. Such lovely party dresses. Go on, Badger, yeah. Lovely party dresses. Now, first of all, I've worn tights all my life. And I can tell you one thing. They have never glistened in the moonlight. That is a really weird description of how somebody looks. And second of all, Badger says, look at their outfits. Such lovely party dresses. Like, he doesn't say, wow, these fairies look amazing. They look interesting, exciting. They're magical and powerful. None of that. He's saying, look at their outfits. Such lovely party dresses. But the thing is, is it's not that he's just focusing on their outfits. Such lovely party dresses. I know, because this lady is Irish, and that concept of the lovely party dress, maybe it's universal, but it's definitely an Irish thing. Mm, He's not just saying that their dresses are nice. He's saying... These fairies have value as beings in the world because they have lovely party dresses. That was her way of saying something good about the fairies. So like basically, if you're not careful, the books that you're reading to your kids will tell them that a girl, her entire worth is just completely tied up in being pretty and how she looks. And a boy, their worth is tied up in being strong and brave and saving the day and not asking for help because you're not ever allowed to ask for help if you're a boy and you have to save the day. That literally happened zero times in the 25 books. Zero male characters asked for help before they saved the day. Um, And they'll also tell your kids that the default human being is a straight, able-bodied, white, heterosexual male and everyone else is just there to move his story along. That's just his wife. That's just his mom. That's just his funny little friend. Like, these are dangerous messages that you're telling to kids. And what can you do about it? Right. Um, I was going off on a tangent there. What can you do about it? So the first thing is just awareness. Like when you're buying books or if you're not buying them, if you're getting them in the library or if you already have some books, um, 
well, let's talk about buying our library. Be aware. Look for ones that have uh, diversity. Look for ones that have different skin colors, that have non-male lead characters, ones that have different types of families, uh, just just anything, something like that. A little bit, a little bit of diversity will help show your kids that you know the world is diverse and wonderful. If you're not able to buy them, maybe you have some books already, but they're awful problematic old things. Talk to your kids about them. So, like, say, for example, uh, a, a gender stereotype would be uh, the mommy in the kitchen cooking dinner, for example. Uh, that does not happen in our house. I mean, I'm fine cooking, but really, the kitchen is my husband's spot. I'm hardly allowed in there. Um, and so, if I come across a picture of a mommy in the kitchen cooking, I would talk to my sons about that. And I go, oh, look, that, that mommy's in the kitchen cooking, isn't she? Uh, who who normally cooks your dinner? That's daddy, is it? Yeah, well, that, that's funny. So so like mummies and daddies can cook in, in the kitchen, can't they? Yeah. Like just a little conversation like that. Kids are clever as all hell, you know? They figure that stuff out. You chat to them if you're presented with a problematic stereotype. And I, I think I think it can be quite effective. Um so looking for books that promote diversity, I find it a little bit difficult to do. You go into a bookshop, they don't have a section that says diverse woke books and then another one that says traditional awful stereotype books. So you've kind of got to weed through it and it can be time consuming. Um, what I found was on Instagram for example, I found the Little Feminist Book Club and also We Need Diverse Books. Those are two nonprofit organizations, it's probably loads more, nonprofit organizations that actually curate diverse books and make recommendations for you. So you could follow them, um, go in there, and, and if you're in, in at a point where you're buying a book, you could check out what books they recommend and, and see if you can get those ones. Super helpful. All right, so that's books. For number one, I can't believe that was only one. Number one on the list is uh, just be aware about the books that you're buying. Talk to your kids about the stereotypes or try and get more diverse books. Number two in the magic of feminist parenting is um, letting your kids discover things for themselves. Like let them be their own filter for what they like and don't like. Um, and don't tell them stuff like, no, you, th this is for girls, that's not for you, or you don't want that, that's just for boys. Um, I'm thinking of an example, a real-life example, that I witnessed and I'm still disgusted by to this day. I was in a bookshop here in Barcelona, and there was the shop assistant helping these parents with the, uh, a little kid, a um, little baby, you couldn't tell. She wasn't draped in, in pink or blue, so you had no idea. Um, and he was helping them find books uh, to, to do. I suppose they were stocking their library for the little baby. And uh, he took one off the shelf and he said, so I, I was in there, I was looking for books for a friend's daughter. So I was like really paying attention. I was like, oh, what's he recommending? And he took this one and he said, oh, this one, this one's great. This one is our bestseller. It's educational and fun. Honestly, we can't, we can't keep it in stock. It's flying off the shelves. And then he turned to them and he looked at them and he said, ah, hang on a second. Is she a baby girl? Yes. So he put the book uh, back on the shelf and he walked them over to the pink section. And I'm not kidding you. He straight up said to them, hmm, what does she prefer? Fairies or princesses? For shame. Fairies or princesses. Like, first of all, there's very little difference between a fairy and a princess. And likeliness is if you like one, you like the other. So that doesn't even matter. But second of all... 
Like, what was his filter? She doesn't get the educational fun book because she was born with a vulva and not a penis. What the heck? That, that, like, that was just silly from start to finish. So, like, you better believe I went over and bought the educational book for my friend's daughter, which she loved because kids love stuff. It was a good book. Um, so I think the idea is that, like, people tend to say, like, no, that's not for you. That's just for girls or that's just for boys. Well, like... If something really is just for girls and a boy picks it up, if there's something biological in their brain that's saying like, no, 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 this isn't for me, they'll put it down. They'll get bored with it super fast. So there's no need for you to be jumping in telling them, like, let them discover that. I'd be more along the lines of slightly different point of view, though, that would say, like, don't tell them it's for boys and girls. If they like it, they're going to play with it. And then maybe it's not just for boys or not just for girls. Let them be their own filter. Don't go around telling them. Um, the third one, numero tres. I don't know why I said that in Spanish. Um, praise your princesses for being more than just pretty. All right? I don't know. Like a good few years ago, this was pointed out to me. And I was like, what? And like, what's wrong with telling someone they're pretty? But like, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the statistics on things like greeting cards when somebody, uh, when a baby's born and, and it's the same for, for birthday cards as uh, kids grow up. When it's for a girl, it's, it's the same as the clothes. It's all sugar and spice and oh, happiness and joy. And when it's for a boy, it's about movement. Uh, there's pictures of movement. There's, there's action words. It's all about, rah, let's go, activity, power, etc. So right from the very beginning, we're telling girls that being pretty is the important thing. And then by default, all the other stuff that that girl might be, intelligent, kind, caring, fun, loyal, ten loyal, loyal tenacious, all those things that a human being can be, that doesn't matter as much as it matters that you are pretty and that you have a lovely party dress or equivalent thereof. Um, there's also a test, you may have heard of it, uh, I don't know if it's called the crawling test, but I was calling it the crawling test, where basically parents of little babies were just given a little test. Uh, the babies were tested where it was like, hey, okay, so we have this, uh, I don't know, 10 meter uh, distance and we want to see how far your baby can crawl. And so the parents obviously thought the babies were being tested, but it never works like that. They're never testing what you think they're testing. And in fact, they were testing the parents' expectations. And across the board, the parents of the little girls underestimated how far their little girls were going to go and the parents of little boys overestimated how far the little boys were going to go. And what I want to say by that, the reason I'm mentioning that is that uh, we really focus on a girl's appearance, like I said in, in the feminist book test with the, with the books constantly talking about the appearance of a girl. When we meet a little girl, that happens when you meet a, an adult friend, a woman who you haven't seen in a long time. You say, hi, how are you? Oh my God, you look great. Have you lost weight? And you, you're commenting on her appearance, but what you're also saying is you have value as a human being because we've been taught from the very beginning that a girl's appearance is the important thing. So that's why it's really important to praise your princess for being more than just pretty so you can tell her like, okay, fine, you can be pretty, you can have your lovely party dress, but also... I feel that it's very, I feel that was a bit self-centered, uh, but also it's really cool that you are kind and it's cool that you got great test results and it's really cool that you tried so hard to do that. 
Um, and so, so like that's one of the things that that you can do is praise things that they can control. So people can't control how their face is arranged. Um, they can't control. I have this weird thing where my my twin boys are quite tall. And we have this kind of like almost a weird kind of pride. Like, mm, they're so tall. Like, what? We didn't do anything to make them tall. They didn't do anything. They're just, they're just tall. Can't control that. Um, but when they try really hard or when they are very kind, when they share things they can control, we praise that. So we constantly repeat that we think it's really important that they're kind. It's important that they share. And kids pick that up and they, they take it in. Um, for little girls as well, something other than going, oh, what a pretty dress. Sorry, I, I said that in a really patronizing tone of voice. I didn't mean it like, it, 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 you know, she's got a pretty dress on. It's nice to talk about it too. But uh, other things you can talk about is like, ask them questions about things like, what are you doing? Uh, what, uh, what's your favorite food? Who are your friends? What games do you like to play? So ask them things about their lives so that they start to understand that all the other things that make up them as a human being are also interesting and important. Uh, and tell them, uh, I like this one, instead of saying, oh, look, you have a pretty dress, saying, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so excited to see your lovely little face. I say that to my my, my little ones every single morning. I say, I'm so happy to see you. It's just something better to say than than for, you know, for a girl better than saying, oh, you're so pretty. Sorry, I keep saying it in that really mean tone of voice. I don't mean it. Sorry for being patronizing. Forgive me. So that's number three. And number four is same, same, but different. Um, it's praise your princes for being more than just strong. So what I saw in when I did the feminist book test was whenever they mentioned uh, a male character, it was always about strength and wealth. Um, kids don't tend to have very much wealth. So, but it's a really typical thing like, oh, show us your muscles. Oh, you're so strong. Uh, and we're constantly repeating that to our little boys. And we're telling them that what's important is that they're strong and there's so much more that is a human being than just how many muscles they have stuck to their bones. So th the same again as for the girls, because we're far more similar than we are different. Um, ask them questions about their life and what they're interested in and things they like, things they don't like. And uh, if they're drawing a picture, what are you drawing? Who's that? If you're playing a game, like what are the rules? You know, so just saying, uh, uh, having conversations with them about other things, things other than their strengths, so that they understand that those things are also interesting and important in the world. Um, tell them you're happy to see them again, better than saying, show us your muscles, which is a weird thing to say little, to little kids. And praise things that they can control. So yeah, like when they try hard, when they're kind, I love a bit of growth mindset. Um, or, or yeah, when just praising they can, can control, because that's really what makes sense. All right, let's go to number five. Uh, number five. Oh, it's the last one. Look at us getting through the list like a bosses. So number five is show your kids great female role models. Like, just do it. Just show them and celebrate them. So um, I started thinking about this when I was looking at, you know, that, that book series that came out a good few years ago, uh, Good Night for Rebel Girls. Like, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Every page, there's a story of a fabulous female role model, also known as a fabulous role model. But I think it's specific to point out that they're female in this case. 
um, on one side and then on the other side of the page is a gorgeous illustration by a female illustrator. So it's just this whole festival of female fabulousness. So, you know, the whole, like, if she can see it, she can dream it. Because before, like, what did we learn in history class in school? Did we learn about amazing women? Not very many. Uh, you know, so it was it was mainly about all the amazing men in history and all the amazing men in society. So show your kids great female role models. The only problem I have with Goodnight for Rebel Girls is I don't get why it was marketed only at girls. Like as if... Girls are the ones, the only ones who need to know that women are amazing. If anything, boys need to be told that. Boys are never told that women are amazing. Um, like, say, for example, the, um, the women's football team in the United States at the moment is suing for gender discrimination because they get paid, like, a ridiculous amount less than the male football team in the United States. Like when the male football team loses, they they get paid something like three or four times the amount that when the female football team wins. And it's ridiculous because the female football team has won the World Cup, the World Championship. I don't know very much about football because I don't like it as a particular sport, so I don't know what things they've won. But they're like global champions and they're being paid crap in comparison to the male football team who really haven't achieved very much. Um, and so, so if I talk about this, I've talked about this with my friends and people, some people think that they're being very clever to say, aha, but m football with men in it uh, is watched by a lot more people and it creates so much more revenue. So it's justified. It's more entertaining. Uh, but then I always say like, why, why don't people watch more women in sports? Like, uh, uh like it's, if you're talking about the world cup, uh, if you're talking about the Olympics, it's like top level athletes it's top level sports why aren't they watching them and generally what people tend to say is well you know what you just want to watch the best football and like i don't get how they don't understand that they're immediately assuming and letting me know that they're they think male fo male footballers are automatically going to be better even though they themselves clearly don't watch women's football so like uh, the whole idea of just there's sports and there's music and there's writing and politicians and people in history there's there's amazing women out there who are fabulous role models and girls need to see it so that they have a point of reference for their ambitions but not only that boys need to see it so they can have a point of reference for their ambitions because why can't a boy aspire to be as amazing as some of these amazing role models um, and also that they can understand that women are also awesome. Like, come on. So sit down with your kids and watch some some sports that have women in them or uh, show them books. Like I, I have Good Night for Rebel Girls. I read it with my boys all the time. They are obsessed with Serena Sasskul. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've never heard it myself. Uh, who's a firefighter, the first female firefighter in the New York Fire Department. They love her so much that they say things like, oh, mommy, look, he's a firefighter, just like Serena. Like they don't know that men can be firefighters too, which I'm teaching them because anyone can be a firefighter. But you know what I mean? They love it. They love Bebe, who is the girl who had her hands and feet amputated and went on to become a world champion at fencing. Um, and th there's all sorts of amazing people. And my boys are reading them and they're just like, oh, she's cool. Oh, she's cool. And they're just learning right from the beginning that women are awesome because guess what? They are. So there we have it. A complete how-to with the magic of feminist parenting. I can't believe we did it. My goodness. I would like to take a moment to personally congratulate you for getting this far. Thank you for keeping me company, digitally speaking. 
Um, on this little trip through feminist parenting, let's recap. That was uh, five tips. Proactively look for diverse books or talk about the stereotypes that you find in a book if, if you aren't buying new ones. Uh, number two, let your kids discover things for themselves. None of this, that's not for you. That's, that's for boys. That's for girls. Let's raise whole people who can like whatever they like. Uh, number three, praise princesses for being more than just pretty because they are more than just pretty. Praise your princes for being more than just strong because they are more than just strong. And show them, show all your kids great female role models so that they can uh, have someone to aspire to and so they can all understand that women are amazing. Because <laughs> we are. So, this has been the very first episode of Next Gen Feminist Podcast and I'm your host, Mother of Snot. You can find or Hazel, or Manny. You can find me on motherofsnot.com and on Instagram there's motherofsnot and also, of course, Next Gen Feminists. And if you like this podcast, you know what? Even if you didn't, even if you really hated it, please let me know. You can uh, like, subscribe, or if you hated it, drop me a message. Tell me what you think. Like, don't be a dick about it or anything. Constructive criticism, please. But uh, but yeah, let me know what you think because uh, we are trying to get our shit together as feminists and I'm trying to get my shit together as a podcaster. So it would be great if you let me know. All right, signing off for today, episode one, Feminist Parenting. <laughs>